Thank you, and it is good to be here with you today. What a blessing it is, and I just uh, have to say, I, uh, I normally don't co- comment on things like this, but I just love your sanctuary. It's, uh, it is a beautiful place, a wonderful place to come and worship the Lord, and, and uh, what, a, what a blessing it is to be here this morning. Uh, yes, I am from Louisiana. I uh, grew up in Baton Rouge uh, in the home of the LSU Tigers, and my wife grew up in Beaumont, Texas. Uh, and if you don't know where that is, it's a suburb of Louisiana. But uh, she grew up in Beaumont, and she was transferred. Her father was transferred during her senior year of high school to Louisiana. And in college, she ran for freshman class secretary, and that's where I met her. And she advertised as the girl from Texas, and so everybody called her Tex, and that's when I met her. So I called her Tex, and that's just kind of stuck with her. So... She's Tex. You heard right when uh, in that introduction, and uh, you don't have to worry. No one calls me Louise because I come from Louisiana. But uh, but we're just thrilled to be here. We we both came to know Christ as a university students, and it was at LSU when I came to know the Lord. Um, most people think if you know anything about LSU, that seems a little odd. But but I came to know Christ uh, as as a university student. I was just starting LSU. When Jesus came into my heart, he changed my life completely, and I've never been the same. And uh, he, he placed a call on my life the night that I came to Christ. He called me to preach the gospel, and uh, I, I started preaching. I didn't know any better. I started going to nightclubs and areas over in Baton Rouge and preaching and, and places like that, and my heart was just on fire for the Lord. But uh, I learned quickly that uh, I needed to grow in Christ. I needed to grow in my faith. And, and there were times and seasons all through that time. That was some 48 years ago that I came to know Christ. And through that times, there have been times when I've needed personal renewal, personal revival. And God has just burned into my heart a message for revival, which I want to share with you this morning. Actually, my ministry was born in a revival. It was a small revival uh, in Monroe, Louisiana, where uh, in a little church, a little Baptist church there where I was preaching. And it, it grew to where uh, we started with 25 people. And within two weeks, we were in the Civic Center holding 10,000 people, mostly young people. And it was spontaneous what the Lord did. And I got a glimpse of what God could do in revival. Now, when I use the word revival, I know I probably, before we look at the scriptures, I I need to give you some definition because uh, (laughs) there's a lot of talk about revival today and uh, what revival is. Uh, I know in the deep south, uh, among a lot of churches, you use the word revival, it means a series of evangelistic meetings. That's not what I'm talking about. When I talk about revival, I'm not talking about some kind of signs and wonders or miracles or, or, or that, that type of thing. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. When I talk about revival, I'm speaking about a personal refreshing that comes from the presence of the Lord to the soul of the believer. It's God renewing the heart of the believer, placing him on the path of conformity to Jesus Christ. Brother Bob, you you read a scripture this morning. I'm not going to preach from it, but I want to comment on it before I get into the passage I'm going to preach on. Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about the race that we are in. And if you you study that passage of scripture, and I won't go into all of this because I I lived in Hebrews chapter 12 for almost a year. Um, I was diagnosed with cancer 
uh, six years ago. And when I was diagnosed with cancer, I was having my quiet time and I happened to be reading in the book of Hebrews when I received that diagnosis. And, and the Lord spoke to me about running the race and what that meant. And he put it on my heart to run. And, 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 and he said, I'm going to teach you what this passage of Scripture means. And one thing that I can tell you for sure, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 is not talking about a 100-meter sprint. Because it says we're to run with patience the race that God has set before us. Or another translation says we're to run with endurance. It is a long-distance race. And I, I, the Lord put it on my heart to train for the original Greek marathon, which I did run a, a little over a year later. Went to Greece. It's one of the most difficult marathons. That's where we get the name marathon from uh, there in, in Greece. But uh, the first 10 miles are pretty much flat. The next 10 miles, you're climbing mountains. And there's no up and down hills. It's just all uphill for another 10 miles. And the last six miles are down into Athens, and you end up in the original Olympic Stadium. I ran that marathon, and uh, I think I probably know as much as what Pheidippides, which the legend is that Pheidippides ran this course to announce the victory of the Greeks, and he announced the victory when he came into Athens and dropped dead. And uh, I, I came through that marathon, and I came in across the finish line, and a Greek pastor friend of mine ran up to me and said, Sammy, what does it feel like to run the original Greek marathon? And I said, this was the hardest thing I've ever done. And I fainted. <laughs> so I, I, I came to understand some things. And there's a lot that, that I found in that Hebrews chapter 12 passage. But I just want to tell you one thing that I learned. When you're in an endurance race, when you're running in a long distance race, which is what this is referring to, one of the things that I've discovered about marathons and long distance races is that there are refreshment tables all along the way. About every five kilometers, you'll discover that there's water, there's some juices, there's maybe some fruit there to refresh you. And if you do not get refreshment, you can find yourself in trouble. In fact, the most dangerous thing to a long-distance runner is dehydration. Uh, I mean, you can get tired, you can get weary, you can go through all these things, you can you know, have an injury, and, and by the way, the author of Hebrews talks about the injuries a little later. But the one thing is this. If you get dehydrated in a long-distance race, you can die from dehydration. It's the most dangerous thing there is. And so there are refreshment tables, and I think there is an implication in this passage that we must be refreshed all during the race. We must be refreshed in the Lord. There must, and that is what I'm talking about when I talk about revival. Another thing in that passage of Scripture that, that is, would help to define what revival is, is you notice, and by the way, it's not just verse 1 that talks about the, the athlete. It, you, as you go through there, all, there are all these implications of the athletic terminology, and you get down further in verses 13, and, and, and even we read the training and the exercise in this last verse that was read. But you get down to verse 14, and you find what the purpose or the pursuit of the athlete is. The pursuit of the runner is twofold. It says, pursue peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. And the pursuit is, is twofold. Peace with other people, to live in a peaceful way with other people. And secondly, 
holiness. Now, I think it's obvious what to, to pursue peace with all men is. But most of us, we've lost this word holiness from our Christian vocabulary, and we don't know what holiness is. And what is holiness? When it says to pursue holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. That word holiness simply means, and by the way, holy means set apart. And there is one who is holy, Jesus. He is in a category all his own. He is not creation. He is the creator. He is not just a good man. He is absolute perfection. He is absolute purity. He is holiness. And so when we pursue holiness, what are we pursuing? We are pursuing the image of the character of Christ. And and, and that's what the race is all about. And revival is not about revival. Revival is simply being refreshed on the way so that we can continue to grow into the image of Jesus. And so if I were to tell you today what my goal is in the Christian life, my goal in the Christian life is not to be the greatest evangelist, not to be some well-known preacher. My goal in the Christian life is to become like Jesus. That's what I am pursuing. And that's what every believer ought to pursue. That, that pursuit ought to be the image of Christ, holiness. Lord, make me more like Jesus. And by the way, that's why we need refreshment all through the race. Not just in the beginning of the race, because you see, you never get so old that you're now, you've arrived, you've achieved all through the Christian life. I'm 66 years old, and I don't know how long I'm going to live, but I know this. I want to continue to grow into the image of Jesus. So how do we do that? Well, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Psalms chapter 24. Psalms chapter 24. And I want to read a passage of Scripture that has been very meaningful to me. And as you're turning there, let me just say that there are a trilogy of Psalms. Psalms chapter 22 uh, is an expression of, of the death of Christ, of the suffering of Christ. We see Jesus in his suffering. In Psalms chapter 23, we see Jesus as the shepherd. And in Psalms chapter 24, we see Jesus as the coming king, the one full of glory and majesty. And so uh, I, I believe that Jesus wants to rule and reign among his people as the king of glory. And, and so how does that happen? So let, let's read together here Psalms chapter 24 and beginning with verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded upon the seas and established it upon, upon the rivers. Who shall ascend unto the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? Now, this is a question that's being asked that's critically important. He, he's saying, who will be able to go up into the place where God's presence is. Who will be able to stand in that holy place where the manifest presence of God dwells? Who will be able to do that? And then he gives the answer. He says, and uh, uh, he says, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, 
and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come, come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts, He is the King of glory. If I could say to you what revival is, I would simply define it in this way. Revival is the king of glory among his people. It is the king of glory ruling in the hearts and the lives of those of us who know Jesus Christ. It's allowing him to be and rule and reign. It's coming into his presence. So, so the scripture says, first of all, it begins with verse 1. And it says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The, the world and all, and all those who dwell therein. For he is founded upon the sea and established it upon the rivers. Now, there's something we need to get that's basic, that's very fundamental, that's, that, that we have to understand. And that is that God created this world. God created you and me. Before we can even get to the point of understanding what, what, what it means that, that we come into his presence, we need to understand that this world belongs to him. It doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to you. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how much land you possess. It belongs to him. It is his. He is the one who has established it. He is the one who has created it. He is the creator. Now, when you come to that place, there is a certain sense of reverence that comes into your life. Because you understand it is not about me. It is not about what I possess. It is not about what I can get. It is about him. He is the creator. He is the founder. He is the one who has established this. It's about him. Then the question comes, how then? Shall you and I come to have fellowship with him? Is that possible? Can you and I come into the presence of a God who created the universe, the God who hung the stars in space, the God who created you and me? Can you and I actually come into his presence, the God who is absolute purity, the God who is holy? Is it feasible? Is it possible? That we could come into his presence. And of course in the Old Testament. There was a place in the temple. For the manifest presence of God. It was the Holy of Holies. And that place was separated from the holy place by a curtain. And, 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 and only the high priest could go in and offer sacrifice. But glory, glory, hallelujah. 2,000 years ago when Jesus hung on that cross and he cried out what was in that passage in chapter 22. When he cried out on that cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus died on that cross. The curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. the, The curtain that kept out common ordinary people. That curtain was rent, was torn literally in two from the top to the bottom, signifying that God had made a way for you and me to come into his holy presence. Not by our goodness, not by our works of righteousness, 
but by what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And so today, you and I have access into His presence. Yes, it is possible to stand on that holy hill. Yes, it is possible to stand in that holy place. You and I, I mean, and I think about this, an, an old poor boy from North Baton Rouge, Louisiana, who lived a, a life just totally contrary to God, who did his own thing, who went his own way, had no concern for God. One day when he heard the message of Jesus, he knelt in the front of a church and cried out and called on the name of Jesus Christ, placed his faith in Jesus, and something supernatural happened that is unexplainable. He was ushered into the presence of Almighty God. We have been given access into God's presence. We can come into his presence. Now, how do we do that, practically speaking, on an everyday basis? First of all, God is with us. Jesus said that I will be with you. He is with us. Wherever I go, when we went to Brazil, he, he was there. Uh, when, when I uh, go overseas, I'm scheduled to go to Pakistan in, in two months, and God will be with me. That's the only reason I'll go to Pakistan in two months is because I know God will be with me. Wherever I go, there's no place I can go except that God is there. He will be with me. But there is that sense of his manifest presence when you know he is filling your life. He is conforming you. He is making his spirit is working in you to make you more and more and more like Jesus Christ. Now, how do you go to that place in your life? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Clean hands and a pure heart. Now, what does that mean? Clean hands refers to, as we go into this world, we touch things. We touch people. And, and it's very easy. You know, <laughs> you go into a doctor's office and every time the doctor does something, the last thing he does before you, you leave is he washes his hands. Because he knows there's a great possibility he's picked up something. That's the place where you're going to probably find that you're going to pick up some kind of infection, something that is going to be very detrimental to your life. And so what God is saying here is you need to have clean hands. You need to continually go to that place where you wash your hands. Your hands are clean. How do we have clean hands? What, what does it mean to have clean hands? As we go into this world that's filled with disease, it's filled with death, it's filled with all kinds of things that will destroy you, that will hurt you. You need to be careful that you don't pick up something and hold on to that. Because if you do, it will make you sick and it can kill you. It can destroy you. So you need to have clean hands. You need to continue. But before you go into the presence, you need to know that you are clean before the Lord. And you are clean. I think it's speaking of integrity. With people that we meet. As we go into the world and we meet people and we deal with people and we find ourselves in situations, we need to have clean hands. I had uh, the opportunity and it was just, uh, it's something, I have several pictures of it in my office, but it's something that I will, I will never forget in my life. I had the opportunity to go to Romania uh, back during the days of Ceausescu. 
I traveled for eight years into Romania, in and out, preaching in that country. It was in the days of communism, Christians were persecuted more severely than any other country in the Warsaw Bloc nations. And I went into Romania and I discovered something the first time I went in. There was a revival among God's people. There was a great move of God's spirit. The churches were packed. I did not attend one church that was not packed. Every single church was packed. And when I say packed, you have to understand what I mean. There was not a, you couldn't see any of the seats on the pews. People would stand down the aisles, four and five abreast. They would stand around the platform. They would stand outside in sub-zero temperatures to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and it, was, it was very interesting because God was moving. They, they were being persecuted severely. They lost their jobs. Some went to prison. Some were even killed for their faith. But, but God was moving in the churches. And it began with a pastor who began to preach an interesting message. This is what he preached. The repenters must repent. Now, in, in Romania during those days, evangelical Christians were called repenters. Whenever someone would come to Christ, they would call them repenters. I find that very interesting. I wish Christians would be known by our repentance today in America. But they were called repenters. And he preached, the repenters must repent. Because, you see, the church had become so much like the world. The church had become so much like the world that you couldn't tell any difference. Let me give you one example. In Romania, during those days, under the system of communism, there was no incentive to work. If you worked um, 40 hours, you worked 60 hours, you worked 10 hours, you got paid the same. It was the communist system. So... Nobody worked. In fact, <laughs> the only way we could get into a hotel, you couldn't, you you'd go into a hotel to try to get a room and they'd say, we don't have any rooms. And we'd say, look, we've got a, 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 a box of orange juice here. We'll give you if you can find a room. <laughs> and they'd find a room. The hotels were empty. Uh, they, they just knew that if we came there and we stayed there, they had no incentive. And because they had no goods, if you gave them some kind of goods, they would give you a room. And it was just a, a, a terrible system, just totally a, a deflating system to the people. So what happened was the Christians fell into the trap of doing what the non-Christians did. They didn't work. Why work? Why go to work? Why work hard? Why be diligent? Why? I mean, it doesn't matter how much or how little you work. You can get paid the same. So they didn't do it. But when this pastor preached on the repenters must repent, God began to speak to their hearts. And there was brokenness and repentance in the church. And, and Christians were broken over the way they had been living in the world, in their culture, in their society. And they, they began to repent. In fact, the church where the revival started they entered into what they call a covenant of repentance where they repented from the things that were in the world that they had been going along with and being participating in where they had gotten their hands dirty. And they repented. And God visited that church and within the next six months they baptized 200 people and baptism was very, very, uh, a very 
critical thing because in those days, uh, if you were baptized, then that's when you put your everything in line. You were making a public declaration of, of uh, who you were. And so it, it was very dangerous. But the revival began. In fact, I actually have, it's an amazing video that the Romanians gave me. I have a copy of the video of, the, you can't see the pastor because you couldn't video during that time, but someone had recorded it audio and then they just put his picture up there uh, on the video. They made it after the revolution. But I have a copy of, of that video of him preaching that service where there was that brokenness and repentance. And he's crying out for repentance among God's people. And what happens is that you can hear people begin to weep because someone's got a little cassette player that they're recording this. And you can hear people weeping. And as he continues preaching, calling for repentance, the weeping gets louder and louder and louder until at the end of the message, you cannot hear him preaching. The weeping is so loud. And there's such great brokenness. Oh, I'm afraid that in America, we've lost that kind of commitment to making sure we live in a manner of integrity, that we walk in this world with clean hands. And you see, the communists, when they saw the clean hands of the believers, the communists begin to become Christians. The persecutors begin to become Christians. And the church began to grow and, and God moved. And you go to that northwestern region of Romania, you'll find the largest churches in Romania are in that region. God moved because... They said, we want clean hands. We need the presence of the Lord. We want, we want him, his manifest presence. We want him more than we want anything. The second thing, clean hands and a pure heart. A pure heart. Now, first of all, you cannot create a pure heart within yourself. It's only through the blood of Jesus. Yet... The gospel of John was written and John said this. If we say we have no sins, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, there, there is a cleansing that takes place when we get honest with God about the condition of our hearts. Uh, when we say to, to God, Lord, I am wrong. You know, I hear a lot of people saying, I am sorry. But there's a difference in saying, I am sorry and saying, I am wrong. And God wants us to be honest. And so if we're going to have pure hearts, we've got to get honest. And we've got to be willing to say to God, I have been wrong. Cleanse me, oh God. Purge me. Oh God, purify me, oh God. When, when Christ came into my heart, God cleansed me. My sins were forgiven. I think probably the, experientially, the greatest experience of my conversion was the removal of guilt. <laughs> you know, I, I had this sense that guilt was gone. I was, I was no longer guilty. I was, I was forgiven. Yet my fellowship, that intimacy with God, has often been disrupted not that I am no longer a Christian, but that intimacy with God has been disrupted when I allow things in my heart, attitudes, feelings, 
thoughts and I dwell on those things and, and, and those things in my heart keep me from that deep intimacy with God. And so this is the cleansing we need in our hearts. Uh, we were talking when I first came in about, um, Brother Bob and I were talking about LSU. I went and attended Campus Crusade for Christ there out in Arrowhead Springs, their, their meetings. And Dr. Bill Bright, I'll never get, he had a message. On, he called it spiritual breathing. And in his message on spiritual breathing, he talked about confession of sin. And he told us to do something. <laughs> he said, I want you to take a piece of paper and I want you to get alone and I want you to write down every known sin in your life. And after you've written that down, I want you to pray a prayer. Search my heart, O God, and try me and see if there be any wickedness about me. And if God shows you anything else, you write that down. And then I want you to confess it. Just be honest, confess it, and turn away from it, and then claim 1 John 1, 9. And so I took my piece of paper, I went with my pen, got alone with the Lord, and I wrote down all my known sins, about four or five. And after I wrote them down, uh, I said, search my heart, O Lord, and try me and see if there be any wickedness about me. And do you know what happened? I had to go get more paper. (laughs) God showed me things that I said, oh, that's a weakness. God said, no, it's sin. I'd say, oh, that's a problem I have. God said, no, it's sin. And I began to be honest with God about my own heart's condition. And there was a great cleansing that took place in my life. And I had to learn to do that on a regular basis, not wait for years before I did that. But I had to learn to, to regularly, daily, the very moment that something touched my heart that interfered with that intimacy with God, to confess it to God and to allow God to cleanse me. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. One more thing, real quickly. Who is not, let me, well, let me just read it. Let me go back. Who, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Who shall receive a blessing from the Lord? He who is committed to the truth and speaking the truth. And where is the truth? The truth biblically is in three places. First and foremost, Jesus is the truth. If you want to be committed not to speaking deceitfully or falsely, you speak about Jesus often, for he is the truth. This book, from beginning to end, is a testimony of Jesus Christ. Jesus is on every page of this book, and you will find Jesus. And that brings us to the second thing about truth. Truth is in God's Word. So you speak God's word, you speak Jesus, you live according to Christ, you live according to the word of God. And and, and what you say is, is, it emerges and it, it arises from what you know in the word, from what you know in the person of Christ. And the third thing about truth is what we mentioned just a moment ago, and that is that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So that is being honest about our own lives. Now, how do you get honest about our own lives? The only way I know to do that is, is our, we cannot compare ourselves to other people. But you compare yourself to someone else, you can always find someone, well, I may not be the Christian I ought to be, but I'm better than oh, so-and-so. We must remember that the standard is the person of Jesus Christ. The pursuit of our lives is Jesus Christ. So be quick. And I want to tell you something. Sometimes I have friends who, who, who love me and say, Sammy, I see this in you. And instead of trying to cover it up, what God wants me to do is to say, be honest. 
and say, thanks, I, I needed that. And even if they don't understand it all, it's probably because they're seeing something in me. And go to the Lord and say, Lord, search my heart about this and show me if this is right or not. But be, a commitment to the truth, the truth of Jesus, the truth of his word, and the truth about myself. And one last thing, and I'm going to close with this. Because it all leads us to this place. It says, such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of God, Jacob, Selah. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Oh, you are placing yourself in a position of God's blessing, of seeing revival, not only in your life, but in your family, in our churches, in our nation, when we live in such a manner, when we live with clean hands and a pure heart, when we are committed to the truth and speaking the truth, then what, what happens is we are in a place where we can seek God. You know, there, there is a, a prayer movement that's, that's really sweeping across America today. There's probably more people praying. I'm in, I'm in touch. I have friends who are involved in the, the national prayer movement in this country. But I think there's one missing element. And the missing element is right here in this passage of Scripture. We're trying to seek God without clean hands and a pure heart and a commitment to truth. But when we have that, when we get in that position and we begin to say, God, there is no limit to what God will do. For the king of glory is strong and mighty. The king of, of glory is the one who has established this world. The king of glory is the one who has all power and all authority in heaven and on earth. And there's no limit to what he can do. I learned that in the Romanian revival back in the 80s because you see this pastor who called for repentance, there was something else that he did as he called for repentance. He challenged the people to pray and he challenged them to pray in a specific way, an unusual manner. He said, I want you to pray that one day we will stand in the great stadiums of this nation and proclaim the gospel. Pray that one day on television and newspapers we will proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And people said, Pastor, that's impossible. We're thrown in prison. We lose our jobs. That could never happen. And he said, you pray. With men, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And they prayed. Not for a week not for a month, not for a year. I am personally aware that they prayed for nearly a decade, crying out to God. In fact, I preached in that church when, and I've already described it, how packed it was and everything. After the service, many people gave their hearts to Christ. And, and um, after the service, one of the leaders came up to me and he said, Brother Sammy, Brother Sammy, did the Lord work? Did the Lord work? And I said, why are you asking this question? Didn't you see how many people were here? Didn't you see what the response was? Why are you asking this? And he said, oh, I wasn't in the auditorium. I was in another room with 100 men, and we were praying the whole time you were preaching. And there was another room with 100 women, and they were praying the whole time you were preaching. 
I had never been anywhere where a hundred men and a hundred women prayed the whole time I preached. They continued praying. In 1988, I was going into Romania and I was arrested, put out of the country. The last thing they said is, you'll never be allowed back into this country. One of the pastors of that church sent me a message and he said, Sammy, remember the glory of God comes through suffering. Remember the glory of God comes through suffering. Don't be discouraged. Just keep praying. For one year longer we prayed. I received a phone call. Ceausescu was overthrown. It was an amazing thing. A pastor, an evangelical pastor, was to be arrested. Christians from all the denominations made a circle around his apartment and joined arm in arm uh, uh, to try to protect him. The Securitate secret police came with their guns and fired into the crowd, killing innocent men, women, and children. And when the blood of the martyrs began to flow into the streets of of Timisoara, Romania, God released his glory. A 100,000 people gathered in the main square to protest what had happened. And as they protested, Peter Dugalescu, pastor of the First Baptist Church, stood and began to preach. And as he began to preach, people began to shout. These were atheists. People had been taught all their lives there is no God. They began to shout, Exista Dumnezeu! Exista Dumnezeu! Exista Dumnezeu! Which translated means there is a God, there is a God, there is a God. 100,000 people went to their knees and prayed. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. One of the most amazing events of the last century. This spread to every major metropolitan center in the nation of Romania. Friends of mine called me from Romania and said, Sammy, that for which we have been praying has happened. I left everything I was doing. I went to Romania. I drove up to that border, the same border where they said you'd never be allowed back in this country. Before that time, they always asked, the first question was, do you have any Bibles? If you had Bibles, you were in trouble. I'll never forget that night. The snow was coming down. It was cold. Soldiers came up. They said, get out of the car. I got out of the car. And they asked this question, are you Christians? My old heart began to beat. And I said, yes, sir, we're Christians. And I'll never forget what happened next. That soldier threw his arms open wide. And he said, welcome to the new Romania. I got on my knees and on the very spot where they told me you will never be allowed back in this country. I gave glory and honor and praise to Jesus. We went throughout the nation preaching in churches. And everywhere we went, on the streets, people would run up to us. I'm not talking about church people. On the streets, they would run up to us and just start shouting, there is a God, there is a God, there is a God. My friend said, you must come back in the spring as soon as it gets warm enough and we must preach at a stadium. And in May of 1990, for the first time in the history of Romania, I stood in a football stadium and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And my interpreter turned to me right before I stood to preach and he said, do you know what today is? I said, what do you mean? What's today? He said, today... It's the day that God answered the prayers that our pastor taught us to pray. A 
Oh, when our hearts are in the right position, there is no limit to what God can do. For he is the king of glory. What America needs today is not bigger churches, not better churches. What America needs today is a visitation of the king of glory. It comes when his people have clean hands, a pure heart, who will not speak, who will not give themselves to that which is deceitful, but who will live by the truth and speak the truth in love. Then we can seek him and the king of glory will come. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for Jesus. Lord, I thank you for who he is and for what he's done. Lord, I love you. I worship you. For you alone are worthy of our love and our adoration and our worship. You, the King of glory. And Father, I pray that you would search our hearts in these moments. And Lord, I pray that you would try us and see if there be any wickedness about us. God, help us to be honest. Give us that grace to be honest with you about our condition. God, give us the grace to repent. And Lord, Give us the conviction to live by and speak the truth in love. Thank you, Father, for what you're going to do. And with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I I don't know if someone could just play something quietly, an instrumental piece just quietly right now. And what I want us to do is just take one or two minutes, that's all, and just let God search our hearts and show us anything that's in our lives that's not pleasing to him. And as the instrumentalist plays, just you just let God search your heart. And if God shows you anything in your life that's not pleasing to him, then confess it, not to me, but to him, just right where you're at in your seat. Just confess it to the Lord and, and ask him to cleanse you. If there's anything that's a lack of integrity, be honest, be real honest, anything that's a lack of integrity. Just be willing to make some changes, to repent. So right now, would you just play something and and, and we're just going to take a minute or two before we close and let you search your heart and let God do that work in each of our lives.
God has shown you something and you've confessed it, claim his promise that he will forgive and cleanse you. If you've never had a personal relationship with Christ, God's spoken to you today. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. You can call on him. And just do that right now. Say, Lord, I know I failed you. I know I've sinned. Forgive me and cleanse me. Come into my life. Change my life. I believe in you, Jesus. I believe you died for me. I believe you're risen from the grave. And thank him. Thank him for his great salvation. Father, you've seen our hearts, you've heard our cries, and we ask you to seal what has transpired. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me just close before I turn it over to Brother Bob and say to you, if, if today God spoke to you about something, I'm going to encourage you to do two things. Share with one of your leaders here what God has done in your life. And secondly, if you have a prayer partner, I really believe in having prayer and accountability partners. And if you have someone like that, it'd be good for you to share with them what the Lord has spoken to your heart. If for the first time in your life, you you really have given your life to Christ today, you need to come and tell Brother Bob. Just tell him, say, I ask Christ into my life. God bless you. It's been a blessing to be with you. Thank you for having me. And um, it's just a blessing to be here with you.